Story number one. There were no stars, written by God from machine. Our universe is a dying one. We knew that since we first gazed at the night sky and saw the howling, nothing staring back at us. Yet we survived in this festering carcass of a cosmos for thousands of years with nothing but our own flickering sun looking down on us, fueling our lives, our hopes. Years passed, we formed kingdoms and tore them down, forged empires and saw them crumble to the dust, built monuments to gods holy to forget that they ever existed. We lived, we loved, we hated. We maimed, we killed each other with a fang and claw, with rocks, spears, guns, cannons. We rained death upon our brethren, slit the atom, and used it to scorch entire cities to ashes. Yet, at the same time, they we were sowing the soil beneath our feet with corpses. We were also crafting wondrous machines, machines that let us peer into the abyss that hang above our heads after every sunset, machines that allowed us to perform complex calculations and gain insight to the world around us. We built machines that conquered the skies and the seas for us, machines that gave us freedom, true freedom, the freedom to leave our ball of rock and dirt behind and sail through the fathomless void. We are free from our planet's gravity. Space was ours to conquer, but time was not. In fact, our time was running out. It was a slow process, but a steady one. We didn't notice it for decades, and it took us even longer to connect the dots. But finally, we figured it out. The winters becoming harsher, the summers becoming bleaker, the seasons blending into a uniform grey, the star that was fueling our lives, the earth around which we had built our home, was running out of fuel on its own. Our scientists established patterns, drew models, and came to conclusions. The death of our sun was coming. It was imminent. There would still be entire generations that would be born, grow old, and die before the darkness overtook our ball of rock and dirt. But it was coming. Inmates on death row, that's what we were, and the execution chamber was inching closer by the day. Eventually, we built stations in our orbit. We sent probes to the abyss and settled all the way to the fringes of our solar system. Little more than research bases at first, that, in time, turned to research facilities, then research complexes, and so on, until we had proper colonies littering our little corner of the void. We were unshackled by our homeworld's gravity, but were still confined within our system when the clock was still ticking to the day our execution at the hands of entropy. Until one day our observations saw it, twinkling like a flame of a candle, another star. In that vast black of the cosmic ocean we were floating upon, a lighthouse, news traveled as fast as the light could carry them. We saw a future, not just for us, but for the generations to come, for our species, for life itself. Every settled planet, asteroid, and orbital station cheered and celebrated at the new information. We named it Hope Scandal, and drained every probe on it. The smartest amongst us worked tirelessly to pinpoint its location and figure out how to get us there. Like castaways seeing a land for the first time in years, we were determined to get to it no matter what. We didn't even bother to consider the orbit was in any way habitable. 
if the radiation could sustain us or if it would simply kill us when we approached its vicinity. We didn't even ask ourselves why its light had only now graced us, even though we had been staring in that direction for millennia. The awakening was a rude one. A new star, Hope's Candle, was not a star at all. It was a celestial ghost, a swan song of a long-dead sun. The only reason why we could see it now was because of its death throes. It exploded with enough force to make itself visible from halfway across the galaxy. We weren't devastated, however. We were pulled with more determination than ever. Now we knew there were other stars out there in the void. Even if the one we saw was the dead one, there were bound to be younger ones still pulsating with warmth and promise of life. There had to be. Necessity drove inventions and a sheer refusal to accept our end and meekly breathe our last on a frozen world drove our collective will. We geared all of our industrial production towards void travel. We strip-mined entire planets to build massive exploration fleets, pushed thermodynamics to their limits and to propel them, volunteered en masse to man them, and then we had a breakthrough. Some compared it to the discovery of fire. Most knew it was far, far more important. Egress points, gravitational anomalies near the edge of our solar systems, where space and time collapsed in on themselves and formed a passage to other solar systems. Some had completely degraded, as there was no longer a star to exert gravitational forces on the other side and sustain the passage. Most were still intact enough for a ship to pass through them, but led to more of the void than we were drowning in. Rarely, they led to actual graveyards, planets that still orbited the remnants of a deceased star, that more often than not had now taken on form of a black hole or a dwarf version of their former selves, incapable of sustaining any form of life. Those astral graveyards were what we were after. We had become a civilization of cosmic tomb raiders, shifting along the ashes, hoping to find something, anything, that could help us keep the lights on for just a little longer. Countless fleets were sent into the void, hunting for a star with still beating heart, hunting for life. They never found that. What they found was an echo. Orbiting a tiny pale star, barely bright enough to be noticeable, was a sphere of cold rock and ice. It wouldn't have caught the attention of our explorers were it not for peculiar geological formations, visible to our scans beneath the layers of ice covering them. We stepped onto the dead world, dancing around its corpse of a star. The formations were not geological in nature, but rather artificial instead. Albeit, the techniques used to construct them were beyond anything our engineers could imagine, let alone comprehend and replicate it. It was, in fact, immensely difficult to even reconcile with their existence, so utterly alien were they to us. It took us several expeditions to fully explore the structures, as the mental attrition was more than what a single exploration crew could take. The humming of the ancient machinery maintaining the atmosphere of oxygen, nitrogen, argon, and carbon dioxide accompanied our explorers, though though the sheer age of the labyrinthian construct they were delving into made it impossible for any technology known to us to still be operable. The structure was immense, resembling a city in size. That, combined with the condition of the planet, meant that any effort to fully explore it would take years, or even decades. Though our government attempted to keep its existence hidden at first, 
Soon, word of the incomprehensible structure discovered on a faraway frozen planet got out. Speculation surged as to its nature, a temple, a research complex, a military installation, all equally valid in their own right, all equally wrong as well. Those of us who worked personally in this otherworldly guts quickly came to accept that its purpose was beyond what we could understand, and to simply scrape whatever knowledge we could from it, was all we had any right to hope for. We did find the scrapes of knowledge, holographic images depicting creatures with only four limbs, soft tissue covering their skeletons, and what can be described as the version of a head filled with sensory organs. One of those sensory organs, their eyes, caught my interest in particular. Even in the decayed holograms, there was something about them, a sensation of dread when gazing upon them, coupled with a tremendous difficulty to look away. They were similar to the black holes, the wounds upon their face of the universe, in a way. We also found depictions of their own void-fearing vessels, their design was maddeningly impossible as that was the building that they were exploring. We saw holograms showcasing entire fleets of them, annihilating continents, worlds, even stars in mere moments. They too were using the egress points that we were, and their charts and routes of them engulfed the entire galaxy, and even led out beyond it. It is pointless to try and fathom the extent of their domain, so vast was it. It was clear that these beings were powerful beyond belief, and that was what drove us to send crew after crew to the dead planet, orbiting the corpse of a star. It was what convinced me to volunteer, even though I knew that other expeditions were driven to madness, and even suicide as they explored the tomb. If these beings held the knowledge and the power to rule the universe, then maybe they also held the knowledge and power to save it, and maybe we could glimpse upon it, and breathe our life to the cosmos. Deeper into the structures, we saw foreign writing, writing that didn't belong to those that had created this place, painted along the walls, the ceilings, the floors. It was the same message, written in what must have been every language ever spoken in the galaxy. That was how we were able to translate it. Let the sleeping gods lie. Let the Terran domain wither and die. In the deepest of deeps, beyond the edges of time, this is the end of all punishment for their crime. The writing got denser the further it went, overlaying on itself, writing horizontally, vertically, diagonally, on each and every available surface. We recognized it as a warning, spent months deliberating on whether we should proceed. Unnerved by the message and mentally fatigued merely being in the structure, Several members of the expedition, myself included, pleaded to simply seal the place and forget about its existence. It wasn't up to us, however. The admiral of the exploration fleet that had found this planet, and the de facto supreme commander of any expeditions taking place on it, decided to push on. When facing the disappearance of their entire race, no risk is too high, after all. Three entire floors of the structure were covered in this text until abruptly they stopped, and the walls and the ceiling and the floor were clean again. While we had to use our own sources of light to explore the structures before, the sector was still lit, and its PA system was still operation, in our own language, in a voice that seemed familiar to each and every member of the crew. He called us by name, to walk down the corridor and to open the gate that stood at its end. Almost entranced by it, 
we obliged, and beyond, we saw the prism, the tear in the fabric of reality, or perhaps a mirror, looking back at us, we saw our own faces, we didn't speak, and neither did our reflections, we just stood and the light flickered at the edges of our vision, it wasn't the electricity in the room going on and off, it was the light itself, phasing in and out of existence, gravity seemed to pull more heavily on our bodies, and our heads rang with a high-pitched noise filled the room. The floor beneath us collapsed into endless abyss, and the ceilings above climbed beyond our sight. Darkness overtook us. When I woke up months later, construction of the awakening arrays had already begun, and I knew every technical detail of how to build one. Their blueprints were implanted within my mind, and the day we found the prism and I had been constantly describing them while unconscious ever since. But I didn't really know how they worked. My surface-level understanding of them was that they siphoned material from another place, another universe maybe, or from beyond the event horizon of black holes, the concentrating them into a single point, until they coalesced into a star, or reignited a dying one. It would be almost another century before the first set of stars was reignited, practically no time at all on a cosmic scale. Even our own sun was given an extension of life by the arrays. Some questioned its decision to use the technology. I myself protested it. We were largely ignored and the devices were built. Now, however, a peculiar phenomenon is being observed at some of the systems whose stars were brought back to life. Strange shapes, almost resembling void ships, albeit impossible in the design, are being seen rising from the worlds before the observation stations got reported them go dark. There was no stars when I looked at the night sky as a child. I used to worry that we were alone. Now, like matches being struck alight, more and more of them are dotting the void above me, and I worry that we are not. End of story. <laughs>